Hello everybody and welcome to the Global Geek News Podcast. This is episode number 16 for February 9th, 2009. I am, as always, your host, Jeremy Bray, better known as PCNerd37, alongside my co-host, Wesley. How's it going, Wesley? Things are going well. It's the beginning of the week and uh, we got a little rain here today in Austin. I'm just hoping that uh, that's a sign that the drought won't be as bad this year as it is in the past. Uh, lucky you, we've had a real dry winter, and today we had like 50 mile an hour winds most most of the day. Story, it, it was just horrible, nothing but dirt blowing around today. It it. We've had some bad winds too. Uh, I I hear we're supposed to be having a small chance of rain and snow like tomorrow, and then a couple days later on in the week. But I just hate this wind. It's not very good on my allergies. At least it wasn't too bad today. Well, you're, but you're lucky we don't you don't have any of that um, any of those wildfires that they have in Australia with the wind that you're having. Yeah, aren't those something? I was seeing just a map of how big those things are down there, and that's amazing. Yeah, unfortunately, some people lost their lives, and my thoughts will be with those. Yeah, that's a sad thing. I hear that it's mainly being fueled by like 12 years of drought or something like that. I can't even imagine something like that. Plus I hear it's been like in the 120s or something like that down there. That's just got to be miserable. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, I guess we can go ahead and get going with the show. Hopefully we can make it a little bit shorter tonight. Uh, one thing I do want to mention, the Global Geek News blog, I have been blogging regularly there and have a couple of story or a couple of posts coming up that should be pretty good so make sure to check that out at globalgeeknews.com slash blog or if you just go to the global geek news website and there's a link to the blog right at the very top there not to mention you can always follow along with us with um, with the show notes at globalgeeknews.com and now that we have all that out of the way the story is that we're going to be talking about tonight are Google bans the term netbook from its ad network. Pioneer gets out of the TV and DVD business. Eye tracking studies are more than meets the eye. Ten registrars responsible for 83% of all spam. Time Warner placing bandwidth caps on more cities. Hackers use fake parking tickets to get into computers. Gmail could pass Hotmail in 2009. Acercot giving 10-inch Aspire 1 reviewers large batteries than they sell with. And today the Kindle 2 was announced. Those and much more when we come back on the Global Geek News Podcast.
Okay, welcome back everybody. Don't forget this is episode number 16 of the Global Geek News Podcast for those following along in the show notes at globalgeeknews.com. And of course you can find all kinds of other wonderful goodies there, including where you can... the Global Geek News blog and the forums, which I never mentioned. I'd never even bother to go there myself, but if it starts getting some traffic, maybe I'll even I'll start posting there. Anyway, go ahead and get right into the stories. Google is banning the term netbook from its ad network. Apparently, Scion, who had the actual netbook years ago, I don't even remember how long ago, well, I guess Google's finally determined that they actually had a trademark on the term netbook, so they're no longer going to allow the term netbook in their ad network. So no longer can companies like Acer purchase ads under the term netbook to try and promote their Aspire ones. I think this is interesting because this shows that they're trying to protect against litigation from from the from sound saying that we own this trademark and your advertising uses this 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 uh, this trademark that we own so thus we can sue you and get money. But other people buy keywords on other people's trademark brands for ads also. So um, if I said that I'm going to do a keyword search and f- use the term uh, Ford or Pepsi or Coca-Cola, it sounds like they will still allow those ads, but yet they wouldn't allow this netbook ad, which I don't under- understand what the difference is between those two. Yeah, I don't know. I've never... Ever since this story came up, and, and this, this story's been floating around for about, what is it, a month and a half, two months now, it it just seems like Scion's out to screw somebody or something, because they had this product, which was called a netbook, and before these they even started this whole controversy, I had never even heard of the product, so clearly it was a miserable failure. So I I think this is just them trying to say that, hey, at least we had it, instead of um, just ignoring the whole situation like they probably should do, because, I mean, this term netbook is just kind of the term that everybody's using, not just the companies themselves, so if we have to come up with a whole other term besides netbook just because they don't want their trademark violated, that's just kind of stupid, I think. I think it's one of those things where even if they... uh prevent people from using the word netbook officially like uh, manufacturers of said netbooks it the word's not going to die i think it's pretty much going to uh stick with what we have in the market today because it's become so popular and it, it's it's hard to describe them as anything else yeah i think once these things get to be like industry terms there's not a whole lot you can do about it like with what is it dell that is claiming that they came up with the term cloud computing before anybody else and now they're wanting to everybody to recognize that fact it's just there's nothing that really can be done about it it's just that now that's just kind of become has become the network the um, industry standard term so unless somebody proposes something better and it actually catches on then that's just gonna gonna be the way it stays until the next big thing comes along yeah, it's like Web 2.0 that that came along and it got some traction, 
and um, there was that big lawsuit about naming a conference Web 2.0 conference because it competed with the owner of the tra trademark. I, I, I think that it's going to fall within that domain. It's, it's public information. It's on the web. I think maybe... Um, do you remember when Leo Laporte tried to stop using the word podcast and say netcast? Yeah. That's what it, this reminds me of. Yeah, a little bit. I don't know. I, I, I've just never been a big fan of this whole politically correct thing. Just call it whatever you want, I guess, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, if Netbook accurately describes the Aspire 1, the Asus EPC, the Dell Mini 9, the HP Mini, or whatever, then that's the term that should be used. That's what best describes them. So I think that's what It'd be nice if uh, another company such as Acer or Dell or HP just buys the rights from Scion <laughs> and then they will say okay now we can call it a netbook yeah I, as far as I know I can't even I don't even know of Scion actually selling any products at this point so at least they'd make some money if they did that I think they just sell in Japan right now but um, they're fairly small in the US I don't think they really sell any products here anymore yeah well speaking of people that are going to stop selling some products, apparently Pioneer is going to be ending its TV and DVD business. Apparently, they've this... lost... Go ahead. I would say this is very sad, that they've lost a lot of money, and they're ending their Kuro and Elite brand of plasma TVs. Yeah, and this kind of really surprised me with as much good press as stuff like the Kuro gets. But apparently, Pioneer's lost $1.08 billion, I guess, just last year, as to where they're spinning off their DVD business, and they're just completely ending their TV business, which, I don't know, I'm kind of curious to see if anybody else buys up the technology so they can produce something as good as the Kuro, or some of their higher-end sets. The the Kuro was uh, being displayed at CES, which was only about a month ago. So this announcement comes very, very sudden, and it sounds very reactionary. Like um, it was a spur-of-the-moment decision and didn't really uh, get debated much. It, it, they weren't in the position to scale back and totally shut down everything. And seeing this is really really scary for that company it almost sounds like they are uh, about to die and go out of business yeah I, I think they're certainly hurting and I kinda I'm kinda curious to see if the, if with them killing off stuff like the Kuro if they're, if they're gonna drop in price they've been dropping in price lately anyway but I'm kinda curious to see if they drop to something real cheap just to try and get them out the door because they're they're by no means cheap sets and if they and if they drop them enough I'd even consider getting one but I don't know when I think Pioneer I've always thought audio stuff like for car stereo systems and stuff like that that that's always what I've associated with Pioneer and I think if they go back to something like that and just focusing on that I think they might do quite well well this doesn't really talk about their audio business. I guess the closest is what they say about their DVD business. But uh, other than their other audio products and amp 
amplifiers and surround sound systems. Uh, even their division in, I think they make pianos, uh, doesn't show anything about them coming back. Um, I thought, I, I would think that they would cut back in those uh, aerials first before they would cut back on their plasmas because they are uh, known as one of the top producers of high-end plasmas and um, they're going to lose some of their visibility to the average consumer when they uh, when these leave the market. Yeah, I think that's the real problem with the economy right now is you get these premium brands and premium products like the Kuro and when everybody is tightening their belt, they're not really going to want to go out and spend $3,000 on a plasma TV unless they happen to be some big wealthy celebrity or something like that. So I'm I'm certainly not surprised that more higher-end people like Pioneer are in trouble. But at the same time, I, I hate to see this just because they make such great products. They've also really cut back on their advertising. Um, so, especially now with the DTV switch, it's it's kind of funny how um, how plasmas and HD TVs in general have plummeted in in, in their uh, volume. Uh, it really does show that we are in unprecedented times, and this is not going to be the first company that's going to be making an announcement like this. I just hope that um, we're pretty front loaded here in 2009, and most of them happen pretty quick succession and then we can be quickly on a recovery from here on out yeah I'm kind of curious to see what happens I've heard a number of theories like we're going to have a small boom in, starting in June and all kinds of different stuff I'm not real sure what to believe quite at this point I'm not even sure I don't know I'd always said that 7500 was as low as the stock market's going to go that's when you should buy that's when it'll bottom out now I'm not so sure about that. I mean, it's hovering in the 8,000 range, but I don't know. I'm, I'm really starting to wonder about that with the way things are looking. It did dip below 8,000 a few weeks ago. I think two weeks ago it was below 8,000. Um, yeah. But uh, it's interesting. I mean, it, but you hear things like the video game industry is still having banner years. The movie industry is still having banner years. It's it's just weird. Where the money seems to be still out there, it's just going different places than it used to be. Yeah, and the gaming industry is what, really what gets me. They're saying of about how great the sales figures are and everything. Yet companies like EA have cut ten percent of their staff, killed a bunch of products. Um, Microsoft they killed off the Ensemble Ensemble Studios which really irritated me because they're the ones that make the Age of Empires series and to see that gone that just really saddens me and and there's been a number of other studios that have closed too so I don't know why they're doing this if it's just kind of saving up for a rainy day even though they seem to be having record sales I don't know I'm kind of curious yeah this sounds like they're going into hibernation mode almost it sounds like it yet they they seem to be the only one in a position where they don't really need to do that unless of course they're Sony in which case that might not be such a bad idea well only if they could read minds they would be able to know what positions to move to like this Google experiment where they did eye tracking to figure out what people were thinking when they're looking at their search results now, I 
I had kind of heard, I've heard rumblings of this kind of technology in the past, but I never actually really saw it until I was watching some special on the Discovery Channel last night, and they ha even have it in the video on the Google post here, where it can track your eye movement for and for how long it's at individual places and stuff, just to kind of see what you look at to identify something. And with what they're doing and have done with this, is when you enter in a search result, Google looks, or Google has these little test groups, I assume, that do this kind of stuff, where they enter in something that they're looking for into Google, and then they see where their eyes go to in terms of different results, uh, pictures, videos, and stuff, based on what it is they're looking for, and just how much time the eye spends on on different parts of the search results, so they can kind of gauge just how good their search results really are. Yeah, some things that came out of this is that when people have a search term and you get the displayed results, that the person uh, goes through each result in order of which they're presented, which doesn't really sound like much more new information than what we already thought, but I guess this research confirms that. Yeah, I, I, this isn't really necessarily news. I just found this like this more of a really interesting article where when you when you look down towards the bottom there's an image there that kind of shows where people look at and it seems to be mainly the top two results that people look at so that means one of two things to me either one Google's results are good enough that you can get it within the first search or two they're not good enough and that people need to rephrase what it is they're looking for to to find whatever it is that they're looking for yeah, that sounds about right. That's basically what I do. I look at the few results and I'm like, uh, no, these are not what I'm looking for, and I refine my terms from there. One additional thing that came out of the study from watching the videos and looking at some of the screenshots is that the ads were hardly ever looked at. Yeah, that kind of really surprised me. Usually the only time I even notice the ads, I never notice them if they're on the right side of the page. Usually, if they're right at the top where they ha where it says sponsored links or spon or sponsored results or something like that, then sometimes I'll notice them. But and even then, most of the time, even if it's the same result as the top result, I'll, a lot of times I'll just skip right over it and go to the top result. But I've gotten to the point where I just use ad blockers and never see most any ads anyway. Yeah, that's true, but. Um, you would think Google would notice that and not publish something uh, that would show that their advertisers might not be getting their money's worth. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know. I think they probably make more money on ads that are displayed through, like, AdSense on people's blogs and stuff than that, I would think, but I'm not real sure. I don't know. I actually saw some figures... Uh, I think it was like Friday showing that uh, online ad sales could be picking back up. So I don't know. I'm kind of curious to see how this affects something like that. Yeah, we'll see. Um, it looks like that um, this research is going to go in a certain direction, and hopefully we can look at uh, how this may bleed into their other products like maybe Android or maybe uh, iGoogle or other their like me Gmail and how it bleeds and hopefully this will improve their whole product portfolio as a whole yeah 
And speaking of advertisements, in this case advertisements that you probably don't want, apparently there are 10 registrars that are responsible for 83% of all spam. This makes sense. If I'm a spammer, I know a register won't kick me off. I know their rules. I know how they work. I'm just going to keep going back to them over and over again, and I'm going to tell my buddies. Uh, I don't know how much that's the case, because it seems like the list changes quite often, and there are times when like GoDaddy and stuff was on it, and now they're off. But right now, they've got a top ten list. Number one is Zinnet, I'm guessing is how that's pronounced. Then there's Enom, Network Solutions, Register.com, Planet Online, Regtime, Online Nick, Spot Domain, Wild West, and High China Web Solutions, I suppose. That's how that's pronounced. But apparently there's a group called Knujon, I guess that's how you pronounce it, that's determined that 83% of all spam has come from spam and malware has over the last eight months has come from these ten registrars and apparently in the past when they've had these lists they've there have been companies that have been told by ICANN that either they clean up their act and do something to prevent it or they lose their accreditation status and I would be really surprised if that kind of happened with some of these bigger ones like network solutions and register.com although I got a feeling that that's probably coming well, in these tough economic times, I wonder if they're allowing some of this to happen because they are getting they are getting paid for all the the business that's being sent their way, regardless if it's spam or not. So I wonder if they're hurting and they're like, "Well, we'll turn our, the our, our our head away while you do this, so we can get the money." Yeah, but um, if you want to. Of course, look at more of the stats they are at the link in the show notes. But with the top two offenders, Zinn being the currently the worst spammer of the bunch, has over 3 million recorded instances of spamming with over just 9,000 domains, whereas Enom's, in a distant second, has 1.2 million instances of spam across a little shy of 33,000 domains. And as to where between the two, about 345.4 spam messages were sent per domain. Whereas Enom just sent out 39.7. And I'm, there's got to be ways to fight against having just getting those these domains for spam. I'm not sure quite how to do that, but there has to be some kind of way to do something as to where, yeah, once you notice it, you can kill it, but there has to be some way to just try and deter before they start spamming with these domains. Well, when you can do a, a who is with a domain, it'll tell you who the registrar is, but usually that's a very manual process and not automated. You usually have to go through some CAPTCHA, some sort of human verification to get to that information for each domain. If there was a, a, an automated way that maybe you can get it at your ISP and have them do that for you, that would be able to uh, at least be able to flag some of your messages of spam as they come in from one of these registers. Well, I've gotten to the point where I think that part of the who is is actually part of the problem. Anymore, and even I do this with my sites, 
um, when I register a domain through HostMonster, which is who I go through, I have the option of using their privacy settings for free as to where none of my personal information is listed in the who is. It's just basically contact HostMonster and that's it, and they're the only ones with, with my information. And I'm really starting to think that's a problem because you get these people that use these kind of privacy settings or they just fill in a bunch of bogus data and they can get away with this stuff a whole lot easier. Now I think if we took registering domains and, and made it more of a complicated process like it is getting like security certificates for websites where the certificate authority goes into depth and in finding out who you are, your where your current location is, your address and everything, making sure you are who you say you are before even issuing the certificate. I think that if we did something like that for registering domains, we'd be able to track down these spammers and and get rid of them a whole lot easier, I think. Yes, but uh, unfortunately, um, I'm not sure if we can spread that to other countries. Uh, it might be just a Eurocentric thing in which we might become more protectionist where people, by default, spam everything that's coming from outside the U.S. Yeah, I know that probably a majority of spam is coming from outside the U.S., and I think that would probably be the hardest part about it, but I think if I can put in some kind of a rule like that for allowing me just kind of being an accreditation rule, I think there could be a chance of something like that helping the pro helping the issue. Yeah, only if uh, ICANN was in charge of uh, brand, uh, broadband ca caps, I think this would be a, a much better world. Yeah. According, apparently with Time, War Time Warner has decided to expand their broadband caps to additional cities. Um, I don't remember if I talked about it on this podcast. Maybe it was the other... Or maybe I even just mentioned it in the blog. I know I've talked about Comcast's caps in the blog. I don't know about Time Warner. I know I mentioned them somewhere. I just don't remember where. But anyway, the 40 gigabyte monthly cap that has been in place in Beaumont, Texas for the past... Mm, I'm not sure how many months. It hasn't been that long. But apparently it's been considered as a success as to where Time Warner is going to start rolling out this cap to more cities. Well, it's going to be 250 gigs for the cap, uh, and unfortunately, I would fall under that because I use Time Warner. Uh, what really pisses me off is that I signed a contract for, I think, two years or so. And so when I signed the contract, it's under a certain terms, and now they're changing the terms. Uh, and I think that's kind of unacceptable for them to do. Uh, say, okay, well, you're going to pay the same amount, but our service is going to change. I, th I, I think that's really unfair. Yeah, that that was kind of the issue that I had when Comcast did their 250 gigabyte cap, but a uh, 40 gigabyte cap for Time Warner just seems way too low. I mean, it's not near as bad as some of the caps that you encounter in places like Australia, but it, it still it seems really low considering all the people now that watch Netflix streaming, streaming Netflix through their Xboxes, watching Hulu, and stuff like that. So I think that's... I have a feeling that that cap is going to have to be raised quite a bit in the next year or so before... Otherwise, they're just going to start bleeding customers to other companies like Comcast and 
Verizon rather quickly. Yeah, this story is very skimpy. It doesn't say when it's going to start, how they're going to notify their customers, and what are the repercussions of people who do go over this limit. Is it going to be an additional charge? Is it going to be a banning? Is it going to be a warning? If they do set something like this in place, I, f I feel compelled that I must test the boundaries. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm not real sure. I'm trying to remember what the original uh, terms were for this when they put it in place as a trial in Beaumont. It seems like after you go above your cap, it's like a dollar a gigabyte or something like that. I'm not. I'm thinking that's it, but I'm not real sure. But it's, I, I'm thinking it's like a dollar a gigabyte past it so you don't have to worry about them disconnecting you like Comcast does but I, I'm not real sure how all it's running there's no mention of what cities are to come just that they're expanding it to more cities so I'm kind of curious to see how I mean, it seems like everybody is adopting caps the only one that I don't know of is, or that I know of that doesn't have caps is Verizon with their Fios service but I'm kind of curious to see just how quickly this bandwidth cap raises as the as more people use more bandwidth. Yeah, I want some uh, gigabyte rollover uh, uh, credits. So if I use less one month and more the other month, I want it to roll over because I'm paying the same per month with the same amount of caps. So I want if if I want it to be able to be uniform or averaged across my whole one year subscription. Uh, I think that would be the only thing that would make it, you know, acceptable to me is that, okay, if I now have these limitations I didn't have before, at least give me the room to, to work within that. Jeremy, are you there? Oh, sorry about that. I think my mic got muted there, but uh, I, I don't know. I hear there's going to be there's just different caps. Like for their slower service, there's like a five gigabyte cap and stuff. But I really think the being able to roll over your cap your your data would be a great idea. But I think there just needs to be another higher tier above forty gigabytes, something that can compete with the likes of Comcast with their two hundred and fifty gigabyte cap. Well, I think they said that this is going to be 250 gigabytes no, uh, it, when they it, roll it out nationwide. I believe it's uh, two. It's all yeah. It's only 40, but Comcast is 250. Uh, but as of right now, they're keeping it set as 40. I think I heard them say that. I think I saw in another story where they said that the average person only uses about five gigabytes of bandwidth a month or something like that, which seems really low to me but I, I don't even watch Hulu videos or stream that much in the way of Netflix or anything and most just single days I'm hitting usually two gigabytes with all the podcasts and stuff that I download and everything so I certainly couldn't live even with a 40 gigabyte cap I, I really feel sorry for the people that are stuck with this I, I couldn't live with a 40 gigabyte cap um, with stuff like Windows 7 coming out and being able to download ISOs, I, 
with 40 gigabytes, that'll give me what um, maybe 10 ISO downloads of Windows 7 a, a, a month. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you add on top of that, I just got a SkyDrive account, and I'm trying, and that's 25 gigs of online backup. Uh, I'm gonna try to push all of that uh, within probably the next in one, you know, swoop. And which I said, back this up, back this up, and I'll keep adding until I hit that limit. And so that would only leave me 15 gigs of uh, Hulu, YouTube, regular internet search, ISO downloads. Uh, and I can see that being a problem. Yeah, yeah, it, it's just not near enough. And speaking of Windows Seven, I'm sure this won't be a whole lot of use to anybody since you probably won't hear this until at least tomorrow. But tonight's the last night to download the Windows Seven beta or to start the download for it. So if you want to start it, it's and you're listening to this, it's probably too late. You'll have to find find it from a friend or something like that. But lucky me, I have it installed already. So, But speaking of things that are getting installed, apparently hackers are using fake parking tickets to infect computers. I, I found this kind of funny when I came across it. Apparently in North Dakota, Grand, Fol- Grand Forks, North Dakota, someone is going around and putting fake parking tickets on cars that say to go to a website which then instructs them to download some kind of a malicious toolbar that is to, that they need to be able to see what their crime is and how to pay for it. And in reality all it does is install a Trojan that has an endless bunch of pop-ups and fake antivirus software. This looks like it's a, a way to get more percentage hits on uh, person, people you talk to as opposed to people who actually convert over to going to the website, I, I would say that you probably have a high conversion rate of how many of these flyers you hand out to people going to the website, but this is extremely, extremely high exposure. Someone is going to get caught and pretty darn quick because this is not just soliciting people to download a, a, a Trojan or a virus or malware, but this is impersonating a government authority. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised they haven't been caught yet. If not, they'll be caught real soon, I'm sure. Because I don't know about where you're at, but around here, basically, pretty much any parking lot has at least a half dozen security cameras watching it. And if they go to a Walmart parking lot or whatever and try and do something like this, it won't take them long to figure out who's doing it and bust them. And if the local police can't find them, I'm sure this will be easily escalated to the FBI. Yeah, I, I would assume stuff like this would probably be more for the FBI than local police, but I'm not real sure. Just because I can't imagine the local police of Grand Forks, North Dakota, really having the um, cyber security people to deal with something like this. Yeah, this is going to be interesting to watch. Um, I, I know that if this happened to me and someone put this on my car, I would be a little skeptical. Just like when I get a text message from my quote-unquote bank saying I need to update my password or there's been a, a compromise, my bank would not send that via a text message. Yeah, um, even yes, even this morning I logged on to my bank and said that there was apparently 
something new, some new text messages going around to get people to log into their fake bank site and give them their credentials and everything today. Which, considering it's kind of a smaller bank, it kind of kind of surprises me. But I'm, but at the same time, I'm kind of surprised it's actually taken this long for something like this to happen to them. But and so, if you you did get an email saying that your bank was compromised, would you get that through your Hotmail or your Gmail account? That would be through one of my Gmail accounts. My Hotmail one is specified for. Um, mailing lists, uh, family that likes to forward me all kinds of junk and everything like that. I really I've got three email, four email accounts. My Hotmail, Hotmail one that's mainly for uh, newsletters and family and stuff like that, which I never really pay much attention to, other than to check out like some new sales from Tiger Direct or Zip Zoom Fly or something. And I've got one of my Gmails that's. Mm, Basically anything financial, anything that I buy, any kind of shipping information, all that kind of stuff through there. And the third one is basically anything for any of the websites I deal with, whether it's Global Geek News, Geek News Daily, and pretty much just anything I don't want to have clutter up that, my my other Gmail, which is, Gmail is mainly what I use. And then, of course, I have one Yahoo account, which is just for spam. If I sign up for something that I know I'm going to get spammed, I just sign up with that. Well, this next story talks about how Google Gmail is within striking distance of Hotmail. And just like you, I have multiple accounts, but this study is based off unique visits, which was, would seem to be more of an accurate number. Yeah, apparently between December 2007 and December 2008, uh, Google's Gmail grew 43% from 20.8 million unique visitors to 29.6 million unique visitors, where in the same period, Windows Live Hotmail lost 5% of its mo unique monthly visitors from 45.7 to 44 point f or 43.5 million. And assuming these figures stay about the same, and assuming even Gmail slows down in growth, and Hotmail slows down at the rate it's losing visitors, they still suspect that Gmail will bypass Hotmail by the end of the year. Well, I thought it was extremely um, surprising to see how Yahoo has uh, such a good stranglehold on the free email market with... 91.9 million unique monthly visitors in December of 2008. Uh, one number that's not uh, shown in this article is AOL. I wonder uh, how much they're suffering from the free email um, uh, free email craze that's happened and if their users are really declining and, and how well they're doing in that front. I don't know. I, I didn't even know that AOL still did much in the way of email, but actually, come to think of it, I happened to look for one last week that was AOL. But yeah, I'm kind of surprised they kind of they did leave that one out. But they said that apparently Yahoo is growing, even Yahoo's growing at 11% per year, and it's got already 91.9 million uniques, which I think that's probably largely just kind of left over from the early night, from like the mid to late 90s, I think, more than. Um, anything. And even that, assuming that uh, growth, rate growth rate continues, even Gmail will pass them in 2011. 
Well, if Microsoft does end up buying Yahoo, um, which still could happen with their with Yahoo's new CEO, they could leapfrog Gmail. Um, well, I shouldn't say leapfrog. They're already ahead. They could put Gmail as a very, very distant second. Yeah, I don't know. I, I thought I heard a thing last week where Carol Bart said that she didn't come in to sell off the company. I, If anything, I would... I wouldn't be too surprised to see maybe Microsoft buy Yahoo's email, just given the context of this story, just to try and give them a way to fight back against uh, Gmail. I don't know. Do you have any Hotmail accounts at all? Yeah, I, I have Hotmail Hotmail accounts. Uh, not that I really use them, uh, but. Uh, it, it came with basically the services that I wanted to use. Like I said, I have a SkyDrive account, so it came with that. Um, so that's I don't really use it for anything. They send notices to that mailbox, but I don't really check it. Uh, I I, th- I think that's a lot of why Yahoo has so many subscribers too, because they have Flickr and uh, other compelling services that people want to use. Same with Gmail, uh, Google Docs, and all those other services. Um, so I do have a Hotmail account, but I don't really use it. Uh, I've I've had a Hotmail account for, oh, I don't know how many years, since the 90s at least. But how, what do you think of the changes that Hotmail has had when it changed over to like the Windows Live Hotmail here within the past few months and just all the interface changes and everything? I haven't really seen it, but I think... What will really hold them back, especially when you're talking against Gmail, is the way that Gmail allows you to access your mail in so many different ways. They have a robust website, which Hotmail does also, but they also have POP support, they have IMAP support, they have offline access. Uh, All those things are what's lacking in Hotmail, and that's only going to hurt them and have people realize that they want to unlock from that web interface from uh, Hotmail and move over to Gmail. Yeah, the POP and IMAP support for Gmail are huge. I think there's two other things where that Hotmail is having issues with that where Gmail is starting to get their traffic. One, Gmail is constantly, Google's constantly releasing features for Gmail. and Everything from the um, Gmail goggles to latitude to the new uh, video chat thing that they launched a few months ago whereas Windows Live Hotmail it almost never has any new features to it and the second thing is the new Live Hotmail uh, interface and everything has so many bugs in it and it's and the way they've done some of this stuff compared to in the past is so annoying I there have been so many times I've thought about giving up my Hotmail address, but at the same time, that's the one I've had the longest because that's the one I've had since the 90s, and I hate to give it up, not to mention I've got so much stuff and so many websites and stuff signed up from that from the old days that I that I can't really justify giving it up no matter how much I hate it. Yeah, there is... A, it is really hard to transition from one email account to another. I, I uh, had a big issue when I moved over to Gmail, that I use that to sign up for everything, and it, it that's why I still to this day still check that old account to make sure there's nothing in there that's too important. Uh, what kind of capacity do you have on Hotmail? 
You know, I don't even know. I haven't even looked. Let me see if I can bring it up to see if it says. I, I know it does, or at least it used to. I haven't really... I haven't, I'm not even sure what the capacity of Gmail is anymore, just because I, I only delete junk. Any, anything that I find important, I always save, and there's just so much storage there that I've never even come close to running up against it, so it's never been something I've ever even really looked at. Well, last time I was at Gmail, I think it was like seven gigs, that, and, and and it's a ever-growing number, and it's always getting bigger. Um, yeah, I think the last I thought I saw it was like eight gigabytes. But I'm I'm trying to look on Windows Live right now, but I'm not seeing. Looks like close to seven point three gigs here for Gmail, and the number's still going up as they add capacity. Yeah, I'm not sure on Hotmail. It used to have a little thing before they changed their whole layout and theme and whatever to make it more Gmail-ish looking. Uh, it used to have a little uh, meter on the left-hand side to say just how much you have and how much you're using, but apparently that's gone now, and I didn't even realize it. So there's another good feature right, well, that's gone out of there, too. Alright, let's move over to the next story. Since we're talking about capacities, uh, there seems to be a huge difference in capacity in the batteries that are sent for reviewers who got the Acer One uh, than the than the customers who bought them at the stores. Yeah, apparently they're starting to trickle into stores now, and I and supposedly this is something that some manufacturers have been known to do. But in this particular case. Acer sent some of their new 10-inch Aspire ones with 6-cell 5,800-milliamp, uh, or, yeah, I think that's what that is. Uh, yeah, milliamp-hours. Yeah, milliamp-hour batteries, whereas the ones being sent to stores are only the 4,400-milliamp-hours, which I'm guessing is probably the 3-cell. So, whereas the review, reviewers are getting all these reviews saying the battery's nice, it's big and everything, in reality it's not anywhere near what's actually hitting the shelves at this point, although I hear a 6-cell is coming at some point. Well, I think this is very underhanded, because that's going to be the primary thing a reviewer is going to look for is battery life, because people know that it's going to be underpowered, people know that the storage is going to be limited... But what they really con concern about is what, what basically how the keyboard's laid out, how the screen looks, and how long it lasts when you're out and about, and how long it will uh, it will be before you have to go and plug into the wall. Yeah, the battery was a big deal with me when I got my Aspire One. Oh, I, I've had it for a little while now, but when I got it, I got it as soon as the six cell became available for the 160 gigabyte version of it because I wanted something that could last me six hours without a problem. I, And if I could wanted something that would last me two hours, I could just use my normal laptop. I think the long-lasting batteries is really what makes netbooks so great is that you can use them all day or close to all day without having to worry about trying to scramble around and fire, find a power source every two hours. Yeah, I think this is very underhanded. I'm glad they're getting called on it. And I hope every single reviewer who got this does put an, an update to their review. 
and uh, or either just take it down and demand uh, a new review unit review unit that's going to have the uh, specs that are sent out to the customers. Yeah, this is certainly a black eye for them. I personally, I've always liked the company. They've always made great products, but when they do something sleazy like this, it really makes me rethink any future purchases, no matter how much I like their products. Yeah, if they wanted to switch this around into a, a, a PR uh, in their favor, they would replace all their customers' uh, batteries that were the 4400s with these 5800 milliamp hour batteries. I think that would give them really good press and uh, would turn this around in their favor. Well, that's one of the things I don't understand is they seem to... They, they still do sell some of the three-cell batteries, but it seems like most of the attention anymore is going to the six-cell, nine-inch Aspire ones. I don't see why they would start doing the three-cells on a ten-inch when they seem to be doing a whole lot better with the six-cells because of the fact of the longer battery life with the nine-inch versions. Yeah. This is just a big head-scratcher all the way around. Um, hopefully it's just a mistake. Maybe somebody just messed up and they didn't mean to do this. Maybe they um, just, but the reunions were pre-production and they weren't production and they got sent the wrong batteries. Um, but un- until I can see more information, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say take it at its face that they probably did this on purpose. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. One of the problems I had with the Aspire one is there's so many different versions. And there's such the minutest changes between the different versions, whether it's the color of it, the size of the battery, the size of the hard drive and everything. There's so many different things that, there's so many different versions that fall under the title of Acer Aspire 1. There's really a lot of confusion around it, and I I think that could be a large part of the issue here. Yeah, I I think that is probably it, and... um... Let's move on to our last story, which is the Kindle 2. Yeah, this morning, uh, I'm sure everyone was sitting on the edge of their RSS readers waiting for news, but the Kindle 2 was announced today with a $359 price point. It's thinner, has more stories, and even a better screen. I I was watching as much of the... um, news about this as I could in between in and out of doctor's appointments this morning, but apparently it's 25% thinner than the iPhone. It's about as thick as a number two pencil now. It, it weighs a little bit less than about 0.1 ounces less than the original Kindle. It looks tremendously better. It still has the 3G connection for downloading um, new books, browsing the internet, with what little you can do with it, but now it has a whisper sync feature, which I can't imagine very many people, if anybody, actually using, where you can apparently sync multiple Kindles, as to where everything has the same material on it. It also has a new text-to-speech feature, which I hear is kind of a computerized voice, and it just kind of reads to you what's on the screen, but I hear one of the things that people seem to like about it is that the screen is supposedly 20% faster with page turns and the battery life is supposedly 25% better. I've heard that it can run up to two weeks without having to be recharged. 
Oh, and the storage capacity yeah. has been doubled to 2 gigabytes, which means you can carry around 1,500 books now. Well, I, I was surprised when you mentioned the battery life, since we were just talking about batteries, that they, they mentioned in the, the, the time of days and weeks instead of page turns, which I think the previous Kindle was advertised on, because it uses very little or no battery when you're actually viewing a page. So I, I, that's one thing that I'm surprised with. I think uh, with with Oprah's Kindle push that happened over the holidays, maybe they're trying to make it uh, present the information in less technical uh, and more uh, to the layman. Yeah, I mean, well, and who really is going to track how many page turns they have just so they can have an idea how much battery is left on their device? I think I think this is a whole lot better way to go about it, although it still leaves a little bit of a gray area there, I think. Yeah, especially when they were comparing it to the old Kindle, to the new Kindle, I expected to be able to put the specs side by side, but this does not allow that. Um, one thing that I also noticed that you said 2 gigs of storage, it'd be nice if this had an SD slot in which you could uh, move books from one Kindle to another, even though you you have the sync function, but also to expand uh, the amount of storage that's available on the unit, especially since it does have audible support. Yeah, that's the one thing I haven't heard about is expandable slots. The original Kindle had expandable slots, but I, I have not heard one word about that with this, and I believe it still supports all the same file formats. It, it supports the audible formats, the Amazon Kindle formats, MP3, unprotected Mobi, RPC, PDF, HTML, Doc, GIF, GIF, PNG, and bitmaps. So it's still got plenty of stuff, although I guess it's still in place that you have to send like your PDF documents through a transcription service for it to put it in the Kindle format and transfer it to your device. Which I I think I heard is that's like ten cents per document to do that. Although there is a free way to do it, and apparently you have to like email it to yourself and then sync it via the USB instead of having it sent over the three G, which I guess is where the ten cents charge comes from. I don't know. It's all kind of confusing a little bit. It's just kind of a pain, I think. But I certainly plan on getting one of these. I don't know if I'll order it tonight, but. It still doesn't ship until the 24th, and they've got a backlog of Kindle One customers plus whoever's ordered the Kindle Two so far. Yeah, it's a nice little device, and is a really um, good bump from the previous Kindle. I applaud Amazon for plowing through this front. I think they're the they're they are. Uh, I, I don't want to say pioneers because Sony has been doing this for years, but I think they are the pioneers in making this mainstream, uh, so that. Uh, hopefully this technology will be advanced enough that it'll it'll uh, gain hold and be popular and not just be so niche as it is now. Yeah, visually it looks a whole lot better. The buttons that a lot of people complained about accidentally turning pages are a lot smaller. And it the old device I thought just looked really old. This one actually has a real n- new look and feel to it. And it uses a five-way controller instead of the scroll wheel or whatever that the old one has which I haven't heard a whole lot about reviews on that but I'm kind of curious to see 
I hear the interface is pretty much similar. It, it's just that's the big difference. Although I'm not, I'm kind of curious to see how big of a difference it actually makes. Yeah, I'm not much of a reader, so I wouldn't buy this personally. Uh, the only reason why I would is to crack it open and see if I can still 3G, <laughs> uh, unlimited 3G on my own computer. Yeah, I'm kind of, I'm kind of surprised that there ha- hasn't been any hackers that have managed to do that yet. Um, I'm not a real big reader either. I'll be honest in saying that I haven't read an entire book all the way through since probably eighth grade. And, and that's including the stuff I was required to read in high school and stuff like that. I never actually read all of it. I may have read bits and pieces, but I've, I don't think I've ever read anything all the way through except for maybe some instruction manuals since like eighth grade. Although lately I've gotten more into audible books, so at least I'm quote-unquote reading something every now and then. Yeah, but yeah, this is, if if I was going to get into reading, this is something I would get. This would make it a lot easier, and it's, uh, it's portable and pocketable and uh, easy to be updated, which is something I, I don't, I don't like clutter and having a whole bunch of books around is something I don't desire. So uh, if I did ever get into reading, this is what I would do. Yeah, I think something like the Kindle or the Sony Reader really takes away the pain points that I've always had issues with with actual reading. I don't like having to carry around big, thick, heavy books and being able to store 1,500 and not adding any additional bulk or weight to something would be wonderful. Not to mention, I'd like to be able to... If I'm sitting in an airport or something, just have time to kill, be able to purchase a book like that instead of having an actual physical book or where as to where I'd have to walk down to one of the little uh, stands in the airport to get one or having to go to a bookstore to buy something store this way it's I can just get it straight on the device and I think they said they have some 200 and some odd thousand books available now I don't think it says on the story but I think it says on the Amazon site like 230,000 books I want to say now I'm checking that out right now Well, I like uh, also the one thing that I think we might have left out is that they n- now have 16 shades of gray, uh, sh- which would uh, increase the contrast and make multimedia easier to read. So porting to the Kindle should work a lot better on this version than the old version uh, to get some of those subtle details out of uh, a lot of pictures and imagery uh, that's in like the New York Times and some of the other media that is also available on the Kindle. Yeah, that was one of the things I had questions about when I first saw it, and I haven't seen any any stats on it yet, but I'm kind of curious how many shades of gray the original Kindle had. I think it was just four. Was it four? Hmm. I'm not sure, but I think it was just four. Yeah, I mean, I've seen decent pictures on the original Kindle, so... And I'm sure 16 shades will certainly help a whole lot more than 4. But, I don't know, I, th- I think it still needs to move to some kind of a color screen, though. I think that kind of be needs to be a direction it takes, especially if you're getting, like, newspapers and stuff on it. I think, I think that's kind of a direction that it should take. Right now, when... 
I don't know, when I whenever I see a screen like this when it's just shades of gray, all I think of is the original Game Boy. That's that's the only thing that seems to come to mind. Yeah, but you have to also realize that it took this path too and it finally got a color screen and got network connectivity. Um, I think this is a, a good early start in the old e, e, the the e ink technology, and we will see a color screen. I know they're already in development, and they're going to work, of course, on the refresh rate, getting that better, and uh, and then we're going to have better battery technology. So this we're going to look back and think this is an antiquated device, but I think this is the uh, wave of the future. Yeah, I completely agree. Well, that said, I'd say it's about time to wrap up the show. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. Alrighty, and once again, the music from this week, like the past several weeks, has been from Walt Ribeiro, which, if you listened to last week's show, you know who he is. And I don't know if we have a show scheduled for our next show, but anyway, you can always follow me at PCNerd37 on Twitter, and you can find out when exactly we're recording, when the shows go up and everything. And, of course, you can follow Wesley at Wesley83 for all of the wonderful links and stuff that he posts. And there's always a few nuggets that I find in there that are really cool. Also, if I could solicit more votes uh, to an initiative that I'm trying to, um, or a contest that I'm trying to win, if you could please go to budurl.com forward slash save the world and uh, it's an initiative for me to try to uh, uh, get ideas together in one site so we can present them to the politicians that have the power to make decisions to hopefully uh, make our world a better place so that's budurl.com forward slash save the world how are you doing in the ranking of that I think I'm in fifth place right now, uh, but I am a distant fifth. Uh, so it, 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 the more votes, every bit counts. Yeah, so make, make sure to go to that vote. And I don't have anything to vote for, so don't vote for me. But instead, you can even follow me on FriendFeed. I'm PCNerd37FriendFeed. That's the way you can find out Anything I do, anything I Twitter, any blog posts I write, any podcasts I get up, that's the best way to find anything and everything me. So make sure to check that out, and don't forget to check out globalgeeknews.com. That's where you can find all the show notes, anything and everything about the show, the blog, the forums, everything. And you can also comment there, and if you have any comments on the show, either comment there or send me an email, pcnerd37 at globalgeeknews.com. And that's going to be about it for this week's show. Uh, might see if we can get a guest on for next time. I don't know. We'll see what I can scrape up. But anyway, that's it for episode number 16. Thanks for listening. Later. <laughs>